Dark Art Society podcast covers a variety of important and contemporary issues, including dark art as well as other kinds of art, literature, film, music, also culture, philosophy, dreams, paranormal experiences, magic, and a whole lot more than that. I'm Mike Carell, director of Chet's Art, I Like to Paint Monsters, and you are listening to the Dark Art Society podcast, hosted by renowned artist Chet Zar. Hey, what's up, Mike? Hey, Chet. How are you? I'm all right. I've been super busy, and as we just talked about in the pre-roll for patrons, I was super busy last week and missed the podcast because I was out doing stuff for my SlenderChance.com efforts. Uh, that was a, That's a charitable effort, mind you, um, yes. and it's in support of people that need support. So SlenderChance.com, if you want to know about it, go check it out. And I'm appearing in a documentary that's uh, basically sympathetic to our cause, which is that people that have mental illness need more resources and assistance, and that children in the criminal justice system shouldn't be treated as an adults. I mean, those are kind of the basic the main lines. And then also getting some donations for the family to help them with their legal costs, the geysers. Organizer. Yes. So Slenderman stabbing, look it up, Waukesha, Wisconsin, slenderchance.com. And that's what I was doing. And now I'm back and we've got David fucking Sherman. And I am so Damn, excited. You don't even ask how I'm doing, but just him. blah, 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 me, 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 David's me, me, me. Busy, oh, here's David Sherman. David, David's got busy stuff to do. <laughs> David has other business to take care of. You so told me we're on a rude. timeline. So I'm just getting it done. Chad, how are you today? Have you that, been painting? I'm not going to tell you how I am. I'm not <laughs> going to tell no you. One no one cares about Chad. No one cares. And that no. is actually my real middle name. <laughs> so there's David Sherman. Welcome to the show. That was Thank a quick you. intro. David's the man. David's, David is the David's, <laughs> David's a great dude. And, and uh he's he's always busting balls on Facebook and we're always busting his balls and um True. you've probably seen the hashtag fuck Dave Sherman, which is you know a, a, it's a movement. It's trendy t-shirt. <laughs> In more than one country. We've gone international. It's a movement. Really? Yeah, Canada. Excellent. Nice. The Canadians they they think fuck David Sherman too. Yeah, they do. Yes. <laughs> well, in advance, I blame this whole episode on Chet because Chet's the Chet Chet decided. He said after David Sherman posted this this on Facebook, which I screenshot, says maybe what's the underlying psychology behind people being drawn to dark art? Now that was a question for a Q and A, and we did answer that, um, but. Chet said, hey, you know, maybe David is well poised to answer that question more specifically and in detail on the podcast itself. So, yes, but first we find off, ourselves here. Yes. First off, I want you to kind of introduce yourself and, and talk about your background and why you are qualified to talk about the subject. <laughs> qualified. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah I'm, I'm an addictions professional. I've been in the field for about 16 years. Um, also in recovery from drugs and alcohol for almost 20, 19 and a half ish. Nice. Uh, so, you know, definitely what's the whole dark side part. You know, I work with people's demons all day long, you know, so there are those patterns and there are people that, you know, the, the, the whole, I, I think for myself and a lot of other people, there's a certain level of catharsis. Everybody's got a dark side, you know, and, and it's, it's so many people have a tendency to give into them. And I know for me that when I got sober, I didn't want to be in denial of that. You know, I know some people that kind of overcompensated and maybe got really religious or got into, you know, and it was like something still missing from their life. I think I didn't want to supplement that aspect of my life, you know, and, and people that come into my home, you know, I have some jet pieces and I have some, you know, home vine behind me and, 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 you know, some just creepy dark stuff that I think is really stunningly beautiful. And I can always tell who I'm going to get along with by their reaction to the art on my walls, you know, whether <laughs> Okay. Yeah. 
yeah. either go along with you or, hey, wow, this stuff's cool. I always thought, I mean, that's a that's a nicer way of putting it. I always said dark art's kind of an asshole detector in a way because it's like, it, it not, and it's not, it's not necessarily true because not everybody knows about it or understands it. But I always figure, you know, people that usually the cool people won't judge the artwork in a negative light right off the bat or they won't judge you for having it on your wall. They'll be, you know, a little more open-minded people seem to be kind of at least curious about it. You know, yeah, I would agree with that, you know, and, and, and most of the people that are into darker art, I mean, they came from an edgier place of like, for instance, music, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, what I was hearing on the radio just really wasn't doing it for me growing up. Right. You know, I just needed something with more subtlety and more nuance and more edge to it. Um, you know, I think you have a similar kind of punk rock background. Mm-hmm. Yep. And there was some mm-hmm. dark, both of us. Yeah. That I needed to address. Whoops. <laughs> that was exciting. That was a pretty good, well timed. I don't, I don't have that sound effect. I have this one though. <laughs> What's that noise? Little, little monster. Yeah. What is that noise? <laughs> That's what everybody wants to know because no one can see the video of what it is that I'm doing when I make it. So you just mess with people's brains because it's working. Yeah, yeah well, Brian skull. Kilgore, our beautiful sound uh, tech, who does all the work for us on this because he believes in the movement, the dark art movement, speaking of oh. dark art, he uh, he likes to go in there and amp that kind of stuff up, so he'll grab that sound and blow it out the roof. He's 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 quite the tech. He's amazing. He sound tech. Wow, this is a professional thing going on here. I yeah, no idea. He masters it. Yeah, he does all the mastering for us because, yeah, Kilgore Sound. KilgoreSound.com. Brian Kilgore. He's amazing. I've been on a couple of the podcasts. There was like two guys and some Dixie cups and a string. <laughs> uh, yes. So you guys are like, whoa. We're moving on up, man. <laughs> moving on up. This is a professional situation. We're not fucking around yeah. anymore. Yeah, he said. <laughs> what, what are you guys hearing about? I, lately, I've had a lot of people come to me. We're talking about, I have, I watch the news and I have all this underlying anxiety mm-hmm. and I'm just, there's so much darkness around us. You guys hearing this? Are you guys feeling that? I hear that for sure. Yeah. I mean, I can't say that I, I, I feel that because I actually don't consume news. Um, so I don't have that, that issue because I'm like, you know, I, there's no reason to put things in my head that I don't want there. If I can avoid putting them there to begin with, you know, I'm kind of very visual. And so once I see something or hear something or think about something, it's like a, it's a meme, it's stuck there and it starts to adapt and mutate, you know, like that into anxiety. So I kind of prohibit my, uh, even exposure to it to begin with. Um, but how I handle it, honestly, and I think everyone has their own way. Art, of course, is one of the kind of the topic of this show. Dark art is a good way to channel that. But for me, really, the way I do it is hiking in nature and rock picking and heavy physical labor. I mean, that's it. So it's like I go out and I work my land until I'm sweating so hard that when I pull my cowboy hat, a half a cup of water pours down my face, you know, and I tell you, I'm not thinking about anything else. And I get incredible chemical rushes from my brain from it. And then once it's all over, I'm just played out. I feel great. I'm, I want to just chill and hang out and eat some calories and, you know, just watch some good shows or whatever and listen to some tunes. So again, it's like for me, you know, if I need to, I can put it, to, push it to that level level. And that's how I placate my tendency to get wrapped up in things that are really, the more I get wrapped up in them, the more I'm manifesting that eventuality in my life. So the less I can cogitate on that, the better off I'm going to be in the long run because those things are less apt to manifest, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, Mike and I have a little bit of a, a disagreement on this whole news thing. I'm always like, how could you not be paying attention to the craziest fucking political situation probably in the whole history of the country but i understand 
Uh, <laughs> I, I made Mike freeze. <laughs> oh, you can do that? <laughs> I hit the freeze button. I didn't want to hear his bullshit. No, just kidding, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> he got all animated and froze. Um, I wonder what we should do. We should probably, let me, maybe he can, I wonder if I could hang up on him. Um, damn it. We'll fix it in post. <laughs> I mean, we could, I just hate having to, you know, then Mike has to edit it. And it's kind of a hassle. Oh, okay. He's gone now. I think he probably hung up and he's going to ring back in. Yeah. I'll try and add him in. This might be the second podcast we do without him. Oh, right on. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> We don't need him anyway. <laughs> no, but we, we, we kind of have that thing. He gets, he does get informed by joy. Joy pays attention to the news and then filters it to him. But to well, me, it, you are, I can't figure out how people are not paying attention to what's going on. I can't figure out how a hundred million people didn't vote. Yeah, I know. I know. Well, they're, they're learning what happens when a hundred million people don't vote. I think they're learning the hard way. People are learning <laughs> the hard way, you know, cause I, I just know so many Young people use this excuse as, oh, nothing matters. It doesn't matter if you vote because Both it's all paid. Same. Yeah, totally. It's bullshit, man. It's, this I election agree. proved it, that your vote counts. It proved it. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of bullshit involved and, and corruption, but still, you have your vote. Yep. Anyway. I totally agree with you. Oh, he's back. Hey. What in dear Lord just happened? <laughs> you were expelled from the conversation. Apparently, I hit the freeze button. I got button a great screenshot out of it. It's it's such a great screenshot because you're like David Girl, a Chetzel. Like that was his hand. Like no, and then you just like I was only. Prov- I'll mad. shut my mouth. I was just providing one caveat is yeah. all I was going to say before I got shut out. And that is that my wife is my filter. So yes. she does consume the news. So in the morning, tell she tells that. me that he knows, you know, yeah, and that's all I need to know. Yeah. I, I, the, the bullet points I told, I told them when you were gone that joy is your, your filter. Well, my thought was, um, you know, a lot of people are coming to me with all this anxiety and I'm saying, if you think and you feel that's an appropriate reaction to be having, because things are really screwed up right now. Yeah. And it's really more about how you, deal with those feelings as yeah. opposed to not having the feelings, you know, any yeah. reasonable person would have the feelings. I, I think it's a perfectly valid and rational reaction to be having about what's going on these days. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Like I just consuming a great deal of art. You know, that is definitely yeah. Making me happier. Yeah. <laughs> and creating, well, I think, you, know, you know, creating a great, I'm sorry, deal go ahead. Chad. No, just creating a great deal of art. It's the best way I th- as an artist anyway, or a creative person to yeah. get out your anxiety and, you know, let it out. But also maybe mobilizing in ways that are reasonable and and productive and available because it's like, you know, I'm not going to go out and lobby for laws to change. I'm not that guy, you know, and, and you could do that, you know, to feel like you're involved. You can join committees, you can join groups and organizations, you know, for instance, the slender chance thing. I feel strongly about those topics. So, you know, it's not a big thing and maybe who knows what it'll do, but it gives me a sense of gratification in knowing that I'm not just the guy that's saying, oh, I'm so sorry for your loss. I'm saying, hey, what can we do to try to do something what can i do mm-hmm. no I don't, I don't know why you would say it's not a big thing it's a huge thing yeah you're saying you're doing yeah and well, thank you yeah it's at the i think it's at the you know really related to what dave's doing as well you know it's all about mental health i mean you know you in some way in a minor way impact one person's life and you just change the world i mean that's my my honest belief that's true 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I believe that too. It's funny how it's easy to believe that about other people and not so much about yourself. At <laughs> <Yeah. times. laughs> well, There's the irony. Yeah, what's up with yeah, that? <laughs> no kidding. It's true. I it's true. People not give themselves enough credit. I mean, that's something I deal with on a daily basis with, with people that are alcoholics and addicts is when they first get sober, they're just not giving themselves any credit. Right. Sure. Yeah. What's up with that? Why? What's up with human nature being that way? Yeah, uh, Mike, you know, definitely, you know, we've talked about this, Mike, personally, that you're, you're, you're a giver. Indeed. You're a giver and you have allowed people to take advantage of that as well as I have too. you know, saying, it's like, mutual, right. You got to have boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. Is, it's hard. <laughs> it's, well, you're a giver. You it's know, hard you, when you're a giver. Is, you could learn it the easy way or the hard way. It's that, you know, all these cliches are cliche for a reason. Sometimes you got to fall on your face. And it's like, if you deal with enough people that are takers and you're a giver, eventually you, you either learn through failure to create your boundaries, or if you have some foresight, you institute them before you have severe failures. Now I, I have to say that recently I had a, a failure with someone who was taking advantage of me. That's been a half a year ago, but I learned so much from it. And I did very folk, you know, create a focused set of boundaries that has prepared me to be more successful. So, you know, you can't really say, well, the one thing couldn't have happened without the other. It was beneficial to have that blowout. You know, the negative and the positive go together. They're part of the same thing, which is the dark art thing, right? You know, I mean, really, that's what I think it's about is that there's much positivity to be gained from just looking at the things that make us uncomfortable and dealing with those things as opposed to pretending they don't exist and then allowing them to grow mm -hmm. disproportionate to their environment and then act out in aberrant ways, you know? Yeah. There's some somewhere in the middle there. Hey, Dave, have you read the uh, Al Jorgensen biography? I have not. You gotta I, read <laughs> I, I love him. He's so awesome. You got to read it. You will love I, it. But yeah, I mean, this has got to be 10, 12 years ago. Somebody told me that he was performing in Depends every night because things had just gotten so over the top. Right. Couldn't make it through a set. Yeah. So you need to get the book. You got to get the book. It's just amazing how many drugs he did. He's told he should be so dead. But I, 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 it's funny because I got, um, a lot of what I, I mean, I never really thought of ministry in that way. I was always, you know, a casual ministry fan, but, um, you know, he was talking about his student called the dark side of the spoon. Right. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not talking about the drug side of it. I'm talking about, I'm talking about how it relates to dark art because, um, you know, his studio and stuff, it's just like skulls. It's like how our homes look and studios yeah. look. It's, it's completely that same aesthetic. And, um, uh, it's just, it's a great read. You got to read it. It's just, a, it's, a, it's amazing. It's, 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 it's absolutely amazing. But, um, uh, I was just wondering, like, at what point did you get into, get interested in this kind of artwork? Did it start off with punk rock music or was it before you had your addiction problem? Like, was it when you were a kid or do you think it's more of the result of a good question? You know, um, cause I was always into it since I was a kid. I, I definitely was into, Stuff that was tragic almost growing up. You know, I was very into like Greek tragedy and there were a lot of French films that ended in, in just despair. Like the movie Betty Blue. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, I, that was always, even 14, 15, I just had this uh, fatalistic, very depressing outlook of life. <laughs> <laughs> Which I found, you know, became numb when I was loaded. Uh, right. And then I guess when I got sober is when I started kind of getting back into the stuff that, you know, some of those native feelings and, and native emotional conundrums that I had dealt with. And, and I remember, I, I, I think I knew your name from probably Tool, I, I'm guessing. Right. You know, 
just, you know, so this is going back, what, 10, 12 years. Um, and starting to look into your stuff. I assume probably Anima is, is when yeah, you were involved. That's when I really started working with them. Yeah. That was the big, the big one. And just kind of, yeah, that would have been, that would have been like 94 or five even. Yeah. So, you know, we're talking 22 years. No, we're not. <laughs> Cause I'm on 27. So that can't be right. <laughs> those, those numbers can't be correct. Um, yeah. That album just came out. Didn't it? <laughs> Feels but, like it uh, to me. <laughs> one of the things I was drawn to in your stuff, though, was I remember, you know, finding out that your, your web store was the store of doom. Ah. And I was, okay, that's fucking funny as hell. Yeah. You know, there was, <laughs> that, you know, there was a little more subtlety to it, a little more humor to it. Like, that's just ridiculous. So silly. Yeah, I, that's I, how I, I meant it, too. <laughs> it's exactly how I meant it. You know, it's like the humor well, and the the dark, well, that's dark, dark humor. Because like, you know? people go, what's wrong with this art? It's like, well, can't you see the beauty in, in something really tragic? Right. And the humor sometimes, you know, because yeah. humor is yeah. a big part of it as well. Well, most of, you know, you look at some of the threads where it'll be me and you and Vaughn and, and Jay, and, and we're all just, you know, totally busting each other's stones. <laughs> and I know for me, having a gallows sense of humor, um, and you were talking about it once, you know, on this podcast about how people have come after me in threads. Right, because <laughs> like, they don't know. Let's fucking kick his ass. <laughs> uh, but, you know, so much of that is catharsis for me for what I do all day long. You know, like right. I deal with pain and tragedy and, and relapse and, and, you know, the darker stuff and I need to be able to blow off some steam. So I'm making fun of you. Yeah. <laughs> gets me right back on the beat. Well, you know? I'm happy. Yeah. Happy, yeah. happy to yeah. Happy to be of service in that way. Well, that's why I made that. That's why I made the irreverent mimetic code. You know, that's why I made that group because that's why I would, I mean, really what I was doing was making all these memes on my own for myself to share with chat and my wife to blow off steam because it was a creative kept me engaged and it helped me to feel like I could say, fuck all those motherfuckers, you know, safely and comfortably, you know, cause sometimes you just need to do that. And then I realized, well, you know, a lot of people like to do this. So why don't we all just have some fun doing it together? You know, let's bust each other's balls for a bit. Why the fuck not? Yeah. Yeah. Everybody says so many negative things about social media. And my take is it's such a fucking metaphor for your life. I mean, it is exactly what you want it to be. And I choose to just follow artists and interact with artists right. and, you know, Mike in his, you know, in his group. And I don't get caught up in the bullshit. In the yeah. Drama. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's... I don't post pictures of what I ate for lunch, you know, cause it's just, <laughs> <laughs> my, pro be a my problem, the reason I, I'm kind of, I get, not that I, I don't get pulled into it like I used to, because I used to argue and do all this typical stuff that people do. But I, when I was, you know, Facebook started for me as a platform for my art career. So I just right. proved everybody until I hit my 5,000 person limit. And so I've got like, you know, I, I know a fraction, actually know a fraction of the people I'm friends with. So every once in a while, something will pop up, pop up that's like, I'm friends with this person. <laughs> Like, you know, I would be happy to talk to you about it, but so often it's just like, it's, you? yeah, it's just people spewing bullshit. Wild. Yeah. It's really, yeah. Yeah. But, but I agree though. It's really, it is what you make it. it it's what you make it. Well, Chad, I agree too with both of you in the sense that like my wife and I were just talking the other day, you know, we live a kind of a monastic lifestyle out here. We live a very secluded area. We live a long way from any neighbors. We don't interact with people, you know, physically, socially. And she was like, well, we just, you know, we have no social life. And I was like, well, you know, I beg to differ because we both have a very active social media life. And granted, it may not be the traditional social life that we've all been brought up to perceive is a social life. It is nonetheless, because we choose who we interact with, when we 
interact with them, how much we interact with them, you know, and, and all of the same dynamics that occur socially occur there on that yeah, platform. Yeah. So I very much treat it, you know, and, and again, for people like me who need to really be off by myself for whatever reasons those may be, it allows me that outlet. So it could be a very beneficial thing, but it's like any of this, anything could be good or bad, right? It's what each individual makes of it. And I wanted to get back to kind of the point, which is that one of the things you brought up, David, I thought was really fascinating is you said, can't you see the beauty in the tragedy, you know? And I think that, again, that's one of the things that's discounted in this world is there's much beauty to be found in things that are seemingly diametrically opposed. There's great beauty to be found in danger. Why do you think people do dangerous things? You know, there's great beauty to be found in tragedy. And so that right there is, I think, kind of what we're talking about. And that's what dark heart barks so much at, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We discussed that, too, on the last podcast with Stephanie Vega, the, the, the poetic beauty of death and tragedy and you know it's it's really i think it's kind of a healthy way to look at that stuff because otherwise it's you know you look at that stuff if you don't look at it i mean it's one thing you shouldn't i guess uh glorify it or glamorize it um especially when it comes to addiction and stuff like that well, yeah, I say, I'm definitely <laughs> but but there is you know you can definitely look at um, a person who has gone to, to the lowest depths of their life with drug addiction and come out of it and still have that part of their story have this kind of poetic beauty to it. You know, it's, it's almost like... And it has some depth and weight with other people that are struggling right. with disease. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, you. so you deal with this every day with people, with people you're counseling and stuff? Just about, yeah. I mean, occasionally I'll get a day off, but that's you know, pretty rare. That's got to be that's got to be very difficult. Um, <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, it, it can be. It's and and I'm a work in progress. I mean, I can honestly say the first ten years of doing it, working in facilities, it was. I, you know, I mean, I, I literally there was an aspect called compassion fatigue, where you're just so saturated with, like you guys were saying, giving so much of yourself. That, um, you know, there was just very little left for me. You know, I, I really didn't go out at night and on the weekends. I mean, I just shut in. Um, you know, there was an aspect of workaholism because I've got that in my DNA. And right. you give an addict or an alcoholic, you know, enough rope and they will absolutely hang themselves. And, right. um, you know, when I finally went out on my own, which at this point is six, seven years ago, um, I realized that I had just been, I was just, I had been burnt out for years and didn't even realize it because I was just so used to that dynamic. Right. Uh, yeah. So, and you know, it, it, just knowing that my life was saved, I was in a facility back in 99, you know, and, and I just, you know, there was maybe a little bit of guilt and a little bit of, I need to repay this. And then there are just so many different complicated emotions involved with doing this when you're in recovery. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it just, you, you need to, so I've kind of slowly forced myself to get more and more balance over the years, you know, and you know, I get out in my backyard and I garden and I grow grapes and then, you know, I collect art and have all these other things going on in my life that was definitely lacking. Right. Mm -hmm. Healthy, mm -hmm. healthy re replacements for the drugs. Well, and it stuff. would seem, I mean, to an out, you know, an onlooker, it might seem like you're this guy who went through this very difficult period and then you came out of it. And then to deal with those kinds of people might be very triggering, you know, right. because they're going through these same things. And so it's interesting that, it, you know, it didn't transmute that way for you. It's interesting to me. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I thought of that, that too. Yeah, no. And I, you know, it's hard to deal with the monster without, you know, listening to the monster and, and it hasn't been that way for me. Um, because there's an aspect of, you know, you need to learn self-care while you're helping other people. And I know I, I kind of did that my first couple, three, four years of sobriety. Um, 
And some people don't, like I've seen it, you know, where somebody in recovery will get really strung out and then they will relapse. Um, in, in my first year sober, I met some people that were literally like eight feet tall in my mind and just so sober and just giants in recovery. And fast forward five, six years later, and, and I got paged to the lobby of the rehab I was working in and I had to admit one of the guys that had like really uh, sober. Wow. And, yeah. What a trip. Like, oh, man. It was really depressing. It, yeah. Well then you, you just, it ta- I'm sure it takes you back to the point of, oh. of the, of the 12 step program, which is everybody is human. You know, people, addicts are just powerless against this thing. You know, it's like, yeah. you know, it's everybody's, everybody's capable, I guess, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, if you're not doing what you need to do, inevitably you'll go back out. Right. Right. I mean, it's like anything else, you know, when exercise involved or something, there's some maintenance involved, and, you know, I guess you stop doing it. Uh, you know, and he passed away. He never came. He never oh, made it. Yeah, a couple of years later, the most tragic circumstances imaginable. It was horrifying. Oh my god! Oh my god! It was awful. He, uh, well, you know, he'd married and had two kids, and they were living in a big house and the whole bit. And then he started drinking, and then he started smoking coke, which he had never done before. Oh my god! Oh, it was brutal. And then he ended up um, trying to rip off some crack dealers. Oh shit! And they beat the crap out of him. They broke his jaw and he ended up drinking antifreeze to die. Wow. Oh my God. I'm, to That's kill crazy. himself? Yeah. Cause he just didn't want to, you know, with a broken jaw. Like oh my. Flop. That's yeah. insane. Wow. Yeah. That's horrible. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't so know. all those people are like, Hey, I want to do what Dave's doing. No, you don't. No. <laughs> <laughs> I ima- yeah. It takes, absolutely don't. I imagine it takes a certain kind of person to be able to do what you do. Well, really bad karma. I mean, unquestionably. <laughs> I was a trucker life where I did something horrible. And yeah, so here I am. I, but you know, you got some fascinating lessons to teach though, because I, of course I've only met you once and we started talking about that before we hit record and then Chet was like, stop it. But you know, when I, I went out uh, to Ithaca, uh, New York with Chet for, I like to paint monsters. We were on the film festival circuit and we went to the Ithaca international fantastic film festival, I believe is the whole entire name of it. And uh, we were there and we met David. He came up, a bunch of cool people came up and finally got to meet you. And one of the things you said to me that day really stuck with me. And I still think about it. We were just chatting. I think about whatever, and one of the points you made about codependent relationships is that you can't be attached to a person's failures. And that really, you know, really struck home to me because I thought, you know, after you said that, and I have a very specific memory that orients things. Like I can picture right now where we were sitting, what the room looked like and where you were oriented next to me and all of that. Cause I have these moments where it's like, I, I can take this picture and it was you telling me that. And it was like, I thought to myself over the next few days, I was filtering relationships and experiences. How many times, you know, you're so excited and and happy for their successes and that's wonderful, but how equally attached you get in most relationships in general to those people's failures as well and how intense that is and how that really doesn't position you to be effective in helping them at all, really, you know? And so that, that when you said that to me in such a concise fashion, it really rung a bell and it's still, you know, three years later, it's still in my head. Um, And so that, I think you, you know, that, that to me is kind of a testament to the things that you have and this skill set that you're able to apply in a way that's very offhanded. I mean, it wasn't like we were having a big conversation like this about addiction or psychology or dark art. We were just chatting, you know, but that really ding, 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 you know? Well, it just goes to show, I mean, when you were minimizing before, like I'm not doing a big thing, I, you know, something, a casual conversation you have with someone at a taco place, you know, after watching right, the movies, right. you know, can change somebody's life. It's like, right. you know, we all got to like give ourselves some credit for, you know, being on this big blue marble together. And are we helping or hurting? Right. Right. 
All right, can, good point. Can you explain that more of being attached to people's failures? Me or Mike? David. Well, you know, the whole idea of, you know, with codependence, I guess you could, we could define it as being when you're allowing other people's behaviors or actions to affect you in a negative way. Um, you know, like, let's say you're married to or, or engaged to or in a long-term relationship with someone that's drinking, you know, that has a drinking problem mm-hmm. and, and you constantly are putting their needs and wants before your own. You're going to be miserable for the rest of your life, you know, and if they keep and they keep not getting sober and then you know and i see it all the time i deal with a lot of people that either get sober and the dynamic of their relationship changes completely mm-hmm. because partner was so used to them being a mess that all of a sudden they're doing well and they're not sure how to interact and it changes everything mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um you know and, and it's a really interesting imprint on, on relationships i've seen a lot of them fail when somebody gets better it's weird oh weird that yeah. is weird because yeah. so they're, they're not fulfilling that other person's need anymore. The codependent person. That's right. Uh, because they were a caregiver to whatever degree. And then when that, that job isn't needed anymore, well, what do I do? That was part of my identity. That was how I saw myself. And sometimes they'll try to sabotage the person's recovery without them. And realize you go to so many meetings. You really need to go to meetings every day. Oh can't my God. You? Yeah. Oh right. yeah. Yeah. It's really, I've it's, seen, yeah, I've seen that happen before. Well, I imagine it's mostly wholly unconscious. I mean, it's not like, you know what I mean? That, that they're not hip to what they're doing. It's not intentional. Usually not. I mean, God knows there are sociopaths out there. Of course. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, usually it's the, you stick with what you're used to. And if you've been together in a certain dynamic for so long, we're all creatures of habit that you don't know what to do with yourself. And you know, a lot of them either end up in couples counseling and give it a shot, you know, and cause you can rework those patterns mm-hmm. or you end up splitting up. Yeah. Oh. So yeah, the whole idea of being hooked on somebody's failures, weirdies. <laughs> I I, I want to uh, bring up also, you, you know, as far as I, I feel like Dave is, even though he's not uh, technically a dark artist, I still feel kind of like you're part of the, I don't want to say inner circle, but you're sort of part of the little crew we got. I don't know. I feel like you're part of the, the group. I'm like an honorary member. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I think part of that is aside from you, the fact that you collect and you've, you know, you've got the right attitude and stuff is that um, uh, you're, you're an independent in the, in the same way that we're independent artists. You're like an independent guy doing your thing, you know, and you could, and you could definitely make the the point that, you know, your work is as creative as any artist, or maybe more creative if you're actually helping people live decent lives and get out of addiction. I think that's uh, just an interesting thing that connects you to us as artists is that you're doing your own thing. You know, you're not working the office job. You've got your own business going and, and uh, that's a hard thing to do. Well, not only that, but I know that, you know, I I did work in an office for 10 years, but on the side, because I had a background in the music industry that I was working with musicians and for me, and, and, you know, this is not a judgment at all, but, it's so much more fulfilling for me to work with creative types. Mm-hmm. Now, no offense, I have normal clients and, and, and I want them to stay sober for the rest of their lives. I don't play favorites, but <laughs> you know, there, there's something to be, I think I've more than likely always just been kind of a frustrated creative type. Right. I haven't really had the discipline to learn how to draw. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it, I, it, and, 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 you know, somewhere along the line, I started getting, you know, referred people from the darker art movement, you know, and, mm-hmm. Some of them are, so it's like, I've got some visual artists, some musical artists, and you know, it's, it's, so I definitely feel at ease and comfortable in those. And it's a lot more fulfilling for me, you know? And, uh, yeah. You, you understand that kind of person maybe more than average. 
Yeah, presumably that's that's what they. Because <laughs> I, I imagine the wrong kind of the wrong kind of drug counselor might you know not not uh, be into a person who's into the I dark stuff. I don't know any any musician that would want to go see a fifty-five-year-old guy with a tie and an all. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Usually what happens is they come to me and they go, I tried four different dudes and none of them were a good fit. And I'm like, yeah, let's fucking do it, dude. Come on. I'll give you the tour of the art in my house. They'll go, okay, you're the guy. You know, it's like, it's right. one of those dudes. It right. just seems a bit better. Yeah, I got earrings and ridiculous hair and you. Fit for the creative type. More. Yeah. Well, it's, it's really cool. Really cool. Well, you know, it's a fuck Dave Sherman movement. You know, what therapist would fucking, you know, have t-shirts. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So do, uh, do you, uh, do, here's a question. Do you feel like, I mean, I know that I had a uh, childhood trauma, which is, I think part of the reason I got into to dark art. Um, luckily I never liked alcohol, so I never got it. <laughs> I just never really took to it, but, um, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> I drink it once in a while. It just doesn't, doesn't do it for me. But anyway, um, do you, do you, uh, do you think that, did you have childhood trauma that that uh, that uh, contributed to your addiction problem? Because that's part, you know, I mean, you, you know, part of it is like a brain. What's that? I think everybody does. Yeah, I think I, trauma most is more people often do. Than that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, and that's it's funny. Mental health in this country, man. I mean, because with with alcohol and, and substance abuse, it's never about the drugs and the alcohol, right? Once you get those out of your system, you're still the same person. You know, we got to address the underlying stuff. So ultimately it's a mental health thing. Right. You know, and that's, I will talk about drugs and alcohol with a client. The first session, what'd you do? How much did you do? How often are you doing it? Okay, good. Stop doing that. Now we're going to do the real work. And inevitably everybody's got some primal wounds and everybody's got some trauma. And I just would love to live in a world where people are okay talking about it. Right. So much stigma. Every one of my clients is like, I've been sitting on this for so long. And, and once we start peeling back the onion, cause people like onions, they got layers and layers and layers of stuff. And then smell it, like onions too. <laughs> it's a thing, I guess. I don't know. Um, but it, you know, it's one of those deals where they'll suddenly feel so anxious about something they just talked about, not realizing that they've been sitting on this pain for 20 years because we don't talk about stuff. You're not supposed to, you know, you look at the people on TV, they don't have issues. And the people in magazines, right. they don't have issues because nobody's talking about it. Like, of course you're anxious. Like, and they say things out loud and they go, holy shit, that was totally traumatic. Wasn't it? Yeah. You know, and they spend <laughs> processing and getting crazy. And it's like, how come that we get so ingrained and I'm okay. I'm fine. I'm right. okay. I'm yeah. That's like an American thing. I think it's like, yeah, uh, yeah. You, you know, but I, but that's what, you know, that's a, again where uh, the dark art thing is really uh, paralleled with with the idea of coming out and discussing your pain and your trauma. You know, yeah. it's really it's a it's a te it's a way for artists to share their trauma and get it out, and also show other people that it's okay to have this trauma. You know, it's like we're we're visual artists, and this is how we express ourselves. So of course we're gonna you know. Yeah. express our, our trauma. And, and, uh, if you can't do that, that's when you start, you know, fucking killing people or doing drugs or, you know, killing yourself or whatever. All of the above, you know, when you can't express that stuff. So no, I totally agree. That's, that's what drives us to do that stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah, so that we're the well, good guys. I think also, we're the good guys. I think also too, when you're dealing with like you know, I bring up the slender chance thing again because I've been thinking about it, obviously. But when you're dealing with a child who is not diagnosed, you know, she has early onset childhood paranoid schizophrenia, and the thing is, is that like you said, no one we're not allowed even as adults to talk about this stuff. And then you've right. got a kid who's got a child's mind that's not fully developed, and of course, we're imaginative beings, but you're also having hallucinations and hearing voices that are not standard and status quo, of course you're going to guard that and you're not going to let your parents know about that because it's, again, it's indoctrinated into us so young that you just don't go there and you don't talk about anything that's aberrant because that means you are not part of the norm. And if you're not part of the norm, woe unto you, you know, (laughs) and it's really, it's, it's scary and it's sad. And Mm -hmm. then that's why I feel motivated to try to do something because I was like lucky. I had parents that were like, Oh yeah. You know, parents, teachers calling and saying, this kid's doing some weird art. And my parents were like, don't worry about it. And luckily I had parents that were cool, like Chet's parents where they were like, yeah, get that stuff out, draw that weird shit, you know, but not everyone is in that position. And so, you know, you put a cork in that bottle, man, that pressure builds up. Yeah. It's a mental illness. Yeah. And before you know it. Yeah. Yeah. That's how you make a mental illness. Or that's one of the ways you make a mental illness. You know, I have, I've, you know, Binky, Jim Binky was, you know, his saying, I was mom used to say he was possessed by the devil. Because he, he was a into monsters, just like me, into creating monsters and masks. It's like that means you're possessed by the devil. How how fucked up is that for, to do for to a little kid? Uh, you know, when I, I worked with teenagers and young adults for probably seven of the ten years, six seven of the ten years, I was working in facilities, and the recovery rate among teenagers that had supportive family that were involved in the process was like 50% higher. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. Uh, it was so significant, you know, just her own involvement. Wow. Totally. I mean, it says a lot about where you end up if you don't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, that's part of, I think the whole dark art society idea is that it's like, even when, you know, I was struck with the notion when I first went to a Czech show, when I was filming for, I like to paint monsters in January, 2013, I'm in there and I'm like, wow, this is a place where all these people that I didn't even know existed that are interested in the same thing and comfortable checking it out together, come together, you know, and that is so gratifying because we're all seeking tribe. We're all seeking some kind of a pack, you know, we're pack animals, you know, love about social media is that you find your people. Mm-hmm. I mean, if yeah. you're at home looking at creepy art, it's like, okay, you're pretty fucking creepy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, that's, that's a, brings an interesting point up, Mike. And I've never thought about that until now is that, you know, the dark art society in a way can be a family support for people who aren't getting any support for their darkness they're expressing from their regular family or friends or some people are out in the middle of nowhere and they're and they're driven to create this dark art and no one in within 200 miles around them has any appreciation for what they're doing no one in their family none of their friends that they are people that they know and that's all they have you know so and their parents think they're possessed by demons right exactly (laughs) so yeah there's a place you can go and and, all of a sudden they're looking at Chet's stuff on you know facebook going maybe i'm not nearly as creepy as i thought right yeah (laughs) there's somebody else equally as creepy and that you know that's the big win. Right. Or you could be that creepy and still be, you can, you, you can express that kind of creepiness and still be a cool, nice, decent human being. We got well, our I mean, own table over here in the cafeteria. So F off football player. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, the suppression is really what causes it to 
be perceived as aberrant. I mean, anytime someone tells you that's bad, you, they've already, especially if they're an authority figure, they've colored it for you. So then by engaging in it, you're like, well, maybe I am bad. Of course it's a meme. It's adapted. It's mutated. Now you're thinking, well, that person, they're an authority figure. And a lot of them are, and they keep telling me that it's bad. So maybe I am really bad. And you start thinking about that and grinding on that. It doesn't take long to start doing bad things, you know, I mean, or even if you're, even if you're not thinking about it, it's there in the back of your mind processing subconsciously enforcing that feeling of i'm not part of this group I'm right not. and then if you've got people who are yep. saying oh no you know the thing is is that i i'd like to do this stuff but you know i feel pretty good most of the time i'm actually i'm a pretty good person and i do good things for other people and i give a shit you know and the more they see that and the more they can treat that as an authority and a form that from a secondary group that's telling them yeah this is it could be this way i think that any really we're converting people away from aberrant behavior just by getting them on the ship you yeah. know <laughs> it's true. Well, you, you know, I, I, the group dynamic, and I'm talking about therapeutically speaking, is is nothing short of miraculous in terms of you get somebody that's, let's say, they're drinking, and they go into a room full of people that aren't, you know, that used to drink too much, and, it, it, you know, I'm not nearly as crazy as I thought. Right. right. You know, it's that first ego hurdle you're reducing because, oh, my God, these people get me. They know where I'm coming from. Like you, you mentioned 12-step groups earlier. You know, the rate of success in those is, is infinity percent higher than people trying to get sober on their own. Right, right, right. right. You know, you just, I feel comfortable around these people. I can let my guard down and get better. And that's, you know, emotional vulnerability is the key to anybody having some stability in their lives. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah. So, right. hey, look, social media does something good. <laughs> yeah, that's how you use it. That's how you use yeah. it. Yeah, it is. It really is. I've actually got uh, Dave Stupakis coming to town on Friday. I haven't seen him in ages. Oh, cool. So cool. Yeah, we got to have Dave. We got to have Stupakis on here, man. I would I love to have him on the show. I know. Yeah, we do. He's, have busy. To. He's a busy dude. There's, yeah, he'll make time. Yeah, yeah. We'll definitely get him on. There's. He just needs to actually get some detail in his work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's too sloppy. That guy's just too <laughs> After all these years. <laughs> I know, man. What a, I thought I was a detail freak until I saw his stuff. Like, man, he, he, deta yeah. he details his details. It's ridiculous, <laughs> but it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> so, who do you yeah. uh, who do you collect? Well, I got you. Um, yeah, that's all I wanted you to say. Never mind. So let's move on. <laughs> I got a couple of. I'd give you the tour, but it'll take too long. I got a couple of Dollywood block prints. Um, bunch of Menton three stuff. You ever heard of Jeff Huntington? Does that name ring a bell? Yeah, the name sounds familiar. Not necessarily dark, but um, I met him when I lived in D.C. In, in probably 89 or 90. Uh, he went to Corcoran and then he went to CIA, Chicago Institute, and he taught at, at a number of different art colleges. He's a brilliant oil painter. He's doing murals now in Baltimore, and he's got a couple of big shows worldwide. I've got a bunch of his pieces. What's his name? Jeff Huntington. Okay. His stuff is ridiculous. Really insanely good. I'm gonna look uh, oh, wow. It is amazing. It, yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Dude, he, he knows what he's doing. Oh, wow. Yeah, this dude knows what he's doing. Yeah. Awesome. It is kind of dark. That's what I see. I, that's a part of the, the other, uh, I think reason of, for us doing this dark art society thing is, is, uh, you know, to widen, to widen the umbrella, you know, to encompass, more, you know, to show that there are things that there's a lot of things in popular culture that are kind of dark that, you know, for, for whatever reason, they're not um, 
considered under the dark art thing, but you know, like we talk about David, David Lynch and a lot of metal music and stuff that's popular. It's, it's, you know, it falls under the umbrella of dark art as far as I'm concerned. Well, I'm wondering if the internet kind of expanded our concept and then, you know, kind of smoothed over those edges, you know, I mean, metal used to be so marginalized. Right. And now you gotta be like Mastodon, you know, it's right. like top 10 on billboard when they put it on album. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's, ah, yeah. that's a good sign to me. I mean, I think it's great. I, th- I think it's all, all of that stuff. The, you know, the, the wider acceptance of things that are, um, uh, quote unquote that's dark, you yeah. know, that's, that's a, a symptom that people are opening up and just, and, you know, on, on a grand scale, I think it, it, it's a symptom, symptom of people, um, or an example of people opening up and expressing their darkness and being cool with that. You know, I think it's a, it's great. It's a great sign, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it looks like can- canaries in the mine, really, you know, but for the other reason, they're not dying, they're living. You know, yeah, the right. thing is... <laughs> zombie canaries what coming it, back know, to life. <laughs> zombie canaries! <laughs> if you don't paint zombie canaries, I will have lost all faith in you. Damn, that's a good idea. Yeah, I gotta figure that one out. <laughs> yes, you do. Uh, I, had a, I had a really good point I was gonna make. I did too. I lost mine too, and that's rare for me, right? I started. Zombie. Yeah, no, I, I, I got too uh, excited about zombie canaries. I know. I sw- <laughs> swallowed my spit and started coughing. <clears throat> well, oh, I, I know what I was going to say, Chet. You know, the last time we did the Q and A, somebody brought up. They were like, "What's the difference between dark art and horror art?" And Chet's response, I thought, was really solid. And basically, it was like, "Well, dark art is the grander umbrella under which these subgenres." you know, fit, you know, mm-hmm. and I, and I was thrown back to a documentary. Actually, I saved, I still had all my DVDs. I got rid of, it was a guy who's an anthropologist who was a metalhead, and he did his thesis on the evolution of metal music. And he did this whole documentary. I don't know if you guys have well, seen it. And I he does, that. I, I'll have to pull it out and take a picture of it and send it to you. That sounded really bad. <laughs> but, uh, it, it was cool because he did a visual, like a digital, uh, um, you know, uh, tree, you know, like family tree of metal. And it was incredible to see all the different subgenres of subgenres of subgenres, you know. And that's how I feel they're going to look back on dark art eventually. And there'll be people mm-hmm. doing that. Like, well, how did it evolve? And what was underneath this grander thing that is dark art? Because dark art, the word dark is incredibly ambiguous and open ended vague i mean so you know well what does dark mean well shit that's subjective if anything is you know but i'm always white it's kind of dark even (laughs) if it's not some dark subject matter you know so we need to get into that nitty-gritty that's why i think it'll be interesting to see it'll be horror art you know grind chord you know like with the metal you know all these subgenres swedish death art (laughs) (laughs) swedish death dark art yeah i mean i i just i don't know i i think that that uh that it's it's weird and cool that this you know awakening in a sense is happening in this dark way i think that is so cool rather than people like finding jesus all of a sudden and everyone you know i mean which is you know i'm i'm all about jesus i think jesus is cool personally i everything i learned about christianity i learned from jesus christ superstar so that's my view of jesus he was cool but um as far as you know fundamentalism it's not well here's here's the metaphor you're looking for i feel about jesus the same way i feel about elvis in that the man himself had a great message and did a lot of really cool things and the hardcore followers not (laughs) Yeah, right. <laughs> yes. it freaked me out a great deal that's great so, yeah yeah wasn't it gone that's the best simile ever gone like those guys in the jumpsuits in vegas i don't know man <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like i thought it was 
Gandhi or someone said, I like your Jesus, but I don't like his followers or something like that. You well, know? we need more Christ. We don't need more Christians. Right. <laughs> That's a good one, too. That is but, a good but, one. But but I, I just think it's, it's you know, it, if there, you know, it seems and maybe we're being optimistic that there is some sort of awakening in a sense of people, you know, coming to I terms. I keep saying that things keep getting worse. So. I know, I know. Well, that's the thing. It's like keep, things keep getting worse and better at the same time. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, okay, For I'll, I'll take me, for example. My life is the best it's ever been, probably. And so I can, you know, I got to judge everything based on where I'm at first and then look around to other people. And so, and I, just spiritually and it partially it's because of the age I'm at and, and stuff. So, even in the midst of all this chaos, you can still be better, you know, and you can still grow. And I, and I do think, I think just this whole dark art movement is a tiny little glimmer of hope. Not that it's necessarily going to change the world. Like I said, in the documentary, I got a little excited, but you know, you never know, but um, <laughs> it, it changes one person. If there's one 15 year old kid in Omaha, that's so depressed and he looks at, you know, some, some art and goes, well, that shit's cool. Right. And this stuff all started happening, you know, in the age of Trump. So, go figure. you know, it's kind of perfect. Well, here's the thing, though. <laughs> it's po- Whenever talk we about poetic. <laughs> in charge, there's a lot of great art. You right. know, I remember a year ago, somebody going, there's going to be some seriously good music and stand-up comedy over the next four years. And I was like, all right, you know, Dave Chappelle's coming back. You know, so. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's that's true. When I was in college during 9-11 and all that, it was the same thing when Bush was happening. It was like the, I was in a screenwriting course and everyone was writing amazing stuff. Well, it was about, incredible content. Everyone was all fired up, you know, what, what, what an exciting time. Reagan, man, when Reagan was, I was in. I just going to say punk rock, man. Uh, yeah, punk, that's uh, like the best. Or go back to punk. Nixon. I mean, any of it, you know. It's Yeah, right. You know, so. Wheel turns and the pendulum swings you know <laughs> what happened without nixon right you know exactly right there yeah well that's the thing about the dark air we're getting back to the point it's like you can't take the good without the bad and you can't have the bad without the good i mean the one qualifies the other how would you even know if something was good if you hadn't felt anything bad so you know i mean that's really that that kind of that paradox that we're all dancing around with our words all the time that is this existence that we find ourselves in really yeah the dancing worldly masters yeah here we are yeah, so I, 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 I'm, you know, I still feel positive <laughs> every day, every day. Dave's always telling me, Dave and I play words with friends on Facebook all the time. And, you know, he, I think he, he does kick my ass more than I kick his ass, but I'm a pretty good opponent. I think it's not even. I, think yeah. pretty- <laughs> I don't know. You get on these rolls and it's just like 10 times in a row he's beating my ass. But, but in between that, he's always talking about, can you believe this? <laughs> Oliver North is going to be bluff, you know, just like, <laughs> and uh, that's where, that's where the, the first t-shirt came from when I think, I think right. it was the day that Cohen's offices had all been busted at the same time by the FBI. And I was like, the hubris is real. Yeah. And I was like, you yeah. gotta make a t-shirt. <laughs> I'm like, well, it is now. <laughs> it's not, so yeah, it's making for great art. You know, yeah. Yeah. You know what? I, I'm uh Where's the great music though? You know, it's, this is totally off topic, but it's weird. It's like, it's coming. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. As far as, especially as far as like rock music, there's, it's like, it's, it's so dead right now. It's amazing. But you know what is kind of, Well, here's the thing though. Here's the thing. And and this is, this is something I think about all the time. 89, 90, 91, 92, 93, even to 95. That was such an incredible explosion of insanely good music constantly. Right. It's right about the time we were like ready to receive it. I mean, I remember I lived in DC at the time. Every three weeks, there was an epic fucking band. Right. 
Fugazi was playing once a yeah. month. Well, Bad Brains got back together, and then it was like Jane's Addiction is coming through town, and then Rage is coming through. I mean, it was literally, you know, yeah, amazing. I mean, so I think that I'm a little jaded because I keep waiting for these big rock bands to take over yeah. the chart, crush everybody. <laughs> yeah, but I think part of it is is just that the culture of all that has changed. You know, I mean, that was kind of the tail end of big music well, yeah, industry, music where you know, were, now though, though, even with films, I mean, you know, the music and film industry because of the way it's changed on a business level, but also the market's so flooded as a result of all the independent fallout that you know it's very hard to delineate and also to get any kind of big funding except for behind the safe bet because it's right. all a money game for those guys. And I think the economy has more to do with good and bad movies and 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 music than anything does. Well, it becomes about marketing because everybody can put a movie out for twenty thousand right. dollars. I just, exactly. I, but I, if you know you can make four billion on a regurgitation of an old Marvel right. comic book, you're going to do it because mm-hmm. you can make the money. They don't care about DVD sales. You just got to line the pockets because it's a tough time right now, economically speaking. They're not going out on a limb and doing film like fucking Fight Club and Matrix and shit. Right. It ain't happening right now, bro. I think that. <laughs> I, I think. <laughs> I think that. Uh, uh, it, it, whereas we're you know we're lacking this kind of innovation and. We don't have all these amazing, great rock bands. I think that that where that is happening, where we have an abundance of great stuff is art. There's so many amazing visual artists out right now. And it's just like every day you see a new painting that's like incredible, you know? So it's kind of like this is our time in a way. It's almost like this is our 60s, you know, as far as far as specifically the dark art stuff, but all kinds of art, not the blue chip stuff. That stuff is dead. I know a lot of darker artists that are making a living, you know, like five years ago they weren't. Right. I know it's, it's, it's it's, job time. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's making a comeback. You know, it's, that's the thing. Fine art is coming back. I mean, it's had its time before. That's why I say the pendulum swings, you know, and the wheel turns. Cause it's like, it's coming back around now. You know, these, these new stars are the underdog indie artists right. that are starving. Yeah. Know? And it's, yeah. And it's, you know, some of them are actually, you know, not necessarily in the dark art scene, but, um, sure. some of them are fucking rich too. I mean, there's people that started off in like the designer toy field, like that cause guy, K A W S that dude, that dude's fucking millionaire, multimillionaire. And mm. it's, yeah, yeah. There's, I saw a, a pi- pictures of his house in architectural digest. It was unbelievable. Uh, like he's that rich, but, um, nice. but that's, you know, that's started in the underground and, and, you know, and, and I just think this is kind of, it's the time for visual artists right now. And, and it's, you know, hopefully it will turn into. Well, maybe you need to start making some vinyl figurines of your, of your characters. I, I'm working on it. I got a black magic, uh, say black magic dunny coming much. out and I, you know, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm focusing on the Patreon right now, but, um, so, Hey, I got a question real quick, David. I know you have another obligation. And before we finish recording, I want to make sure I read our, our patron names here. So I just want to, I'm looking at the clock. I don't want to run you out, but I want to make sure we have enough time to do that. So I'm just going to interject that. No, I'm good. I got a little- okay, cool. He's got a little time. Okay. So anyway, back to my point, this is like a Renaissance, I think for fine art, because when I first started painting in 2000, there was, there wasn't an art scene at all. Yeah. I mean, there was juxtaposed magazine, but that was still kind of under underground. And that, and that was like the whole lowbrow thing. And it was just starting to happen. But I remember, you know, being in the eighties, being a, in school, there was no art scene and there was definitely no dark art scene. There was Giger who was famous because aliens. And I think most people, nobody knew Bekczynski back then. Hey, hey, and species. Yeah, species too. That's right. But, but my point being that it was like, that he, 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 got, he got famous. That Steve Johnson did that. The effects on that. 
But I mean, I like that movie a lot. I stand corrected. I've, no, I've never, I've never, <laughs> I actually have never seen the movie because I heard it sucked. But his, everyone said his creature's really cool. But uh, well, he, you know, he he's the first to say that he's worked on a lot of films that weren't good films. That yeah, you know, that doesn't mean he didn't do good work. We all, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but there, there was, was there was no there was no market. There was nothing, and so that's yeah. why you know. Otherwise, I would have out if it, if it was if the time was um, if I graduated, you know. Now I would get right into fine art. There'd be no question about it. But at the time it was 1985. I graduated. There was just, it was impossible. The idea that there, I thought never in my lifetime would there be an art scene that would. But Chad, even in Oh two, it was like that for me, I graduated from college in 2002 and halfway through that degree by 2000, I was like, okay, screw this fine art stuff. I'm going to make movies and do other shit. So even in, you know, right, right then 2000, it was still the same way. Right. When you were starting, I was in school finishing up and was like, yeah, I ain't doing that. No (laughs) one's going to make a living selling art. Yeah. (laughs) So it's, 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 it's amazing. That's part of the good, you know, the good it's things are as, bad as they've ever been and also as good as they've ever been in other ways because you know as much as oh my god everything is so fucked up on politically so 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 bad but on the other hand if if you're an artist and you're good you can have a career and you could support yourself and you can make a living and you could even make a decent living you know it's it's time you know it is and that's one thing that Bill Mars, I don't know if you ever watched, if you watch his show on HBO, but he's, al- he's always saying, I, tr- I tell these young people, this is not normal. We got to make sure that people know this is not normal behavior for the president or the, of, or the caps. Because there are people that I know that are reasonably intelligent. They're like, nope, it's a witch hunt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are you insane? I know. And and the thing that, I mean, I hate to get into politics, but I'm going to do it just for a second real quick at the risk of, you know, pissing people off. But most people hate Trump anyway, so it doesn't matter. But um, for those who don't hate Trump, I'm sorry. But um, the thing about this, about this president is that you can go and look at the shit he said on Twitter. So you can't go, oh, he didn't really say that. It's there. I watched him say it. I watch him say it on a daily basis. I see the clips and then I see the Twitter. I see the insults. I see this shitty behavior. It's like, it's right there in front of you. Come on. Okay. Anyway, end of political rant. Sorry. I'm with you. I don't know. (laughs) I know. I'm preaching to the converted here. Well, you know, we're getting a really good, uh, you know, just mind control and then psyops. And I mean, it's, it's, it's working really effectively. Yeah, it's history books. You go, how can an entire country do those things? Well, here you go. Yeah. Well, you know, you did, all you got to do is is look back at some of the, you know, we have all these forefathers that did great things. And then there's the forefathers that didn't do such good things. And Joseph Goebbels is a perfect example of one of the most effective 20th century propagandists that ever existed. And everything that's happening now is based on what he basically founded shit a long time ago, half a century or wait, yeah, you, here's the half thing. century. The thing though, almost decade, century, decade, century. <laughs> the thing is though, that the majority of the people are not supporting Trump. The majority of the country is totally anti-Trump. It's just like, it's weird. I think it's like this small group, small, loud group of people that see their, their way of life changing and going away and they don't want to let go. They, they want to be number one again because they've grown up being number one. It's like fundamentalists or something. That's so strange. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, the election told us everything we needed to know. The people didn't vote him in. The Electoral College did. And, you know, that's all you need to know. And it was by a huge, ridiculous, historical breaking margin. So it wasn't, you know, the reality is, is the people did not actually support the man on that. On those days, the Electoral College did. That's it. You know, and if you've got a problem with that, go back to 1759 and do something about the Electoral College or lobby for it now. But if you don't know anything about the Electoral College, then you're been bamboozled. Oh, Learn about it. <laughs> yeah. Kids, did you think you were going to get a history lesson today? Yes. With the yeah. we <laughs> welcome, America. We're welcome. <laughs> Sorry, we, we usually don't. That was talk my politics. part. That's all I had to offer. I'm always ranting and raving about the Electoral College because I took poli sci, so I know a little bit. And I, I I had to bring it up because Dave's on. And, you know. Dun, dun, dun. And I'm going to kick your ass and words with friends later. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> all right. Well, it was. You're going to trump his ass <laughs> in words with friends later. Uh, Nuge. We've been using the word Nuge as a curse word lately. I'm going to stick it right up your Nuge. Yeah, right. Yeah, mm. that's Ted Nuge. It's such an asshole that all assholes should be called Nuges. Is what the oh, okay. So, so Nuge is like the new batch. Yeah. Yeah. Don't Nuge. be a Nuge. You don't be a Nuge. Nuge is worse than batch. <laughs> all over Facebook in like two days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's your next shirt. <laughs> it's your next next fuck Dave Dermot Nuge. Shirt. I'm going to get sued. <laughs> fuck the Nuge. <laughs> All right. Well, we're at an hour, so we should let you get get to your thing. So, uh, thanks for coming on. It was great to yeah. see you and talk to you, and, and you know, on video instead of on work. Thanks for having me. And if anybody needs to get in touch, the website is theroadtorehab.com. Um, there's a there's an email address on there. You know, anybody with substance abuse or mental health issues, either reach out to me or someone else. Go talk to someone if you're having a problem. Yeah, and yes. Dave, Dave is amazing, Absolutely. and he's helped people I know, and he's he's really, really, really uh, an incredible resource. So uh, if you're having problems, don't hesitate. And uh, again, thanks for coming on. Thank you, Mike. Do you need to read the? Uh, yes, I want to thank our patrons because we got a flurry of activity, Chad. I don't know if you noticed, but Ooh, we a got like, Woo. yeah. Well, I mean, we got uh, well, we got. Four, five new, six new, seven new pe uh, wow. people as uh, Dark Heart Society patrons, and that's been the most we've had in a while. Um, so that's exciting, and that means that you know people are getting hip to it and want to be involved. So I'm going to read them off. The last time uh, was Dennis Keenan. He was the final guy that we finished with. Well, thank you again, Dennis. We also have Michael McGoag, and I I remember Michael from when I periscoped emails from Infinity a couple of years ago. So oh, nice. Michael's still hanging in there with us. It's really exciting. Josh Van Gore. We got Maxine Blasero. Both Josh and Maxine posted a bunch of their art in the Dark Art Society cooperative group that we have as a as a peripheral to that. And really cool stuff. Uh, Jake Unthank, Tyne Dankser, Dankser, Aaron Stockwell, and Spooky. So those All are the right. new people that supported the Dark Art Society Patreon. If you want to become a patron of the Dark Art Society for as little as $1 a month, you can be a member. And that is at patreon.com forward slash Dark Art Society. You guys can get pre-rolls of Chet and I just talk, talking to each other before this. You guys can get mini podcasts. You guys can get your name in the credits like the people that I just read off. You also get access to the secret cooperative group on Facebook and soon to be launched Discord in relation to the Dark Art Society podcast. In nude photo sets. Of Dave Sherman. <laughs> so, thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you guys next Wednesday. We always appreciate your support, your likes, your shares. And if you guys get a chance, go over and rate, rate and review us Excuse me, on iTunes. That's the best way to help us get spread around the world of podcasts. All right. Thanks again, David Sherman. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Michael. Absolutely. Peace. Bye.